this is what they always say. They always say, theater makes you good, film makes you famous, and TV makes you rich. Well, hey everyone, this is Carolee. This is Daniel. And this is the Actor Hack Podcast. We're coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. And today, you have the two of us. (laughs) The two of us alone. Just the pleasure of our company. Uh, Today's episode is going to be dedicated to the financial reality of uh, mainly being a performer. Mm-hmm. In in New York, we're not going to get down to the specific, you know, designers and things like that because that opens up a whole other beast. But just to give you a frame of reference, uh, we're going to go through and talk about what uh, minimums are uh, with the different unions, so with Equity and with SAG-AFTRA. When I moved to the city, um, I probably had about $3,000 um, saved, not including the apartment that I had already set up, so the deposits and first month and and security of uh, that first apartment was paid for and I I came up here with about $3000 which I wish I would have had a little bit more yeah for sure luckily I got a job right away but that still meant that I had 2 to 3 weeks without a paycheck and a lot of my friends probably took about a month or two to get a job. Yeah, you you definitely got a job a lot faster than most of us did. I want to say when I came here, I had 5000 I okay. want to say. But that didn't include the apartment and mm-hmm. everything. And then Garrett and I had to go to Ikea and basically start from scratch. But you guys had your stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, we did have a lot of stuff already. I mean, truth be told, there's no way for like the first six months... I would have been able to stay if I wouldn't have had the luxury of calling my mom and being like, I need about 150 more dollars to pay rent this month Right. Um, every once in a while. So like, you know, I'm not going to gloss over the fact that like my mama did have to help uh-huh. me transition into living here. So um, what is this thing that they say? It's like they say you should try to save for like six months of rent or something before you get here. I mean, that makes sense. Because then you have that like cushion. I'm gonna say, so now, um, having gone through a job search recently, um, most people I talk to, and this is talking about like being a little bit older and having some experience in the city, you can expect about three months to find a job. Yeah. Now, that when you're first getting to the city, you're probably taking the first thing that you can get, so maybe it's not taking that long, um, but you also don't have the experience and the age and the know how. Uh, as well, so I I think at least planning for three months um, is very smart. Absolutely, yeah. Because I remember it took me like I think two almost three weeks, and that felt like forever. Yeah. And I got and I just took the first job that I was given to me, and it was sketchy as fuck. But like I didn't. I was like, oh no, I have to do this. It's been forever. Right. So right. you know. And even if you're taking a job, um, you're. It may not pay enough to cover your expenses, so you're still draining your savings while you're doing that or while you're getting... uh, Like, for instance, I I wasn't scheduled uh, full-time right away, and the pay was shit, so um, it probably took me... I I would probably say about four or five months before I was really covering all of my expenses with my paycheck. And especially in the serving world... Just having a few clients that are first starting out in the city, you get lunch shifts when you yeah. first start. And that's 
definitely not as or much. Or breakfast. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's tricky in two ways because you're not making as much money at lunch and you're also working during the day. Right. So the reality is most likely when you first get here, any artistic endeavor you're going to pursue, you're probably not going to get paid for it. Right. And, uh, you know, if you're doing, you're, and you're probably helping to produce it yourself. Yeah. So if anything, you're going to be losing money. Right. You're, you're going to be spending money doing passion projects if you're creating opportunities for yourself. So um, there was a campaign that started, I guess, about a year ago for, for some equity members striving for a living wage for off-Broadway performances. I, I mean, off-Broadway is anything that's 499 seats or less. And the pay scale is based on how many seats are in that theater. So um, on the low end, for 100 to 199, the pay starts at 593, and then on the higher end, uh, the minimum. This is a weekly minimum. Uh, Ten, uh, 1,057 dollars for 351 to 499 seats. The statistics show that 63 percent of these of these um, contracts are paying 593 a week. Yeah. Um, and so some of that is going. Like, these are equity members, so some of these are going towards equity. And if they have an agent, then um, that fee is being taken out as well. Uh, and then there, that's before taxes, and then there's taxes. Right. Right? So, so you hear 596 or And whatever. you think, oh, I can live on that. But, like, your take-home pay is not that. No. Um, so there was a campaign uh, made, um, hashtag fair wage on stage, and love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and a couple of uh, really prominent um, performers uh, who are involved in the off-Broadway world uh, wrote a letter uh, to Equity and um, got some really great people to sign on to it. Uh, and there was a great social media campaign attached to it. The most famous of which was this guy who worked um, four contracts uh, that year and still had to file for bankruptcy. And we're talking off-Broadway here, and this is, like, not an easy... This is... It's so highly competitive to get an off-Broadway show, and the, like, respect that off-Broadway has now, it's like, you know, these are not easy gigs to get, Mm -hmm. so... And if you're a working actor in the city, this is the realm that you're working in. Yeah, totally. You know... I mean, not very few people are on Broadway, and a lot of these shows on Broadway are being shipped in from other places. Like, these are not the people that are living and working day in and day out in New York City. Those people are working in off-Broadway. Exactly. It's exactly what you said. When you think working actor, and you think what you strive for, like, these are the arenas that you're realistically going to be in. And so, to think, oh, if I get a great off-Broadway show, then I'm set. No, no. Right. Like, it's right. not actually... And what all of them were saying is that, like, okay, that's fine if you want to pay that, but I have to get a job to work during the day before I come into the theater at night. That compromises my work here. And also, I don't have as much time to go to fundraisers, to schmooze donors, to work, you know, around the theater and help out and do all the other stuff that you're expecting of me if you're if you can only pay me this much exactly because yeah because that 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 figure covers 
you know, appearances and this and that. So a couple of theaters have pledged themselves to raise the wage. Yes, I know for a fact that like Ars Nova is a part of that, right. and um, I believe Second Stage is a part of that. So there's going to be like gradually like these numbers will raise in increments and these numbers do raise every two years but i'm talking like by like twenty dollars right so it hasn't it hasn't increased uh, at the rate that rent and expenses in the city or even inflation have increased right and like something also to note is that these are these are the minimums for off-broadway equity contracts but some theaters in new york have special agreements and so they, these are not their minimums. I know of some theaters that 434 is their weekly salary, and it's well-respected theaters. So this is a guideline, but there are actually theaters that pay less than this. So that said, I don't think the actual numbers have been released yet as to what the new minimums will be, but uh, Equity has agreed to increase the minimums. Because all of the information that we're sharing with you is, is or at least has been, completely accessible, but it's all about knowing where to find them. So what I found interesting was usually what I can do is I'll just go on the equity website, I'll look up agreements, and they have all of the standard equity agreements. Well, this morning when I looked uh, up the most recent agreements, it said that those will now exclusively be in the actor equity portal Mm -hmm. and so me as joe schmo not an equity member i think maybe it's just in this transition or maybe it's because they're trying to figure out all this new stuff it's not as easily accessible but you can find out a lot of this like what they still do have so for instance when i looked up the lort uh minimums the league of regional theater minimums these are the rates for 2016 and these are for contracts that go through February of 2017. So at this point, even if you're not a member of equity, you can find relatively recent information Mm -hmm. just to give you a guideline. Lord theaters actually pay pretty well. Um, and those are on different tiers. So you've got Lord a, which in for this contract period, which ends next month in February, uh, 2017. Lort A theaters, their minimum for actors is 963 a week. B plus is 909. B 838. C 776. And D 618. And then experimental lorts are 494. And then for Broadway, the last agreement that I could find on Equity's website was from 2015, so this is definitely not recent, but just to give you idea, the minimum weekly for a musical or a play is 1,861. That was in 2015, so it's definitely higher than that. I'm not sure how much higher, though. Um, And the minimum is different for rehearsal weeks and performance weeks. That will typically be for, like, an ensemble member or a chorus member. Oftentimes in plays, if there's not, like, a namey person, they will probably work under a favored nations contract. And favored nations means that all contracts are the same. Everyone's getting the same deal. If your role is contributing just as much as everyone else, you want to make sure that that contract is favored nations. And typically, especially for regional 
that's almost always the case off Broadway. It gets tricky though if you've got like a celebrity, they will get paid way above that. <laughs> so there were a lot of actors and from a lot of different uh, productions, but I know specifically Leslie Odom from Hamilton went to Equity uh, to request that actors who originate roles and who've been in workshops of this, you know, Hamilton's a great example because these people had been with it in workshops and the production at the public and then to Broadway, that they be a part of the group, like the producers and people who get back ends from it. So as once the musical recoups, all of the money that was invested in it, then any profits that's made, there's then a profit sharing plan and that the actors are included in that. So that's what they fought for. And so I believe that they're getting it. So for instance, now with Frozen, I think that's going to be in place with Frozen. So once Frozen predictably recoups what Mm -hmm. investors spend on it, then now the actors will be a part of the actors who originated the roles who very clearly helped right. you know make it a success because people fought for that then they will now get residuals in a way that they never have i mean i don't i think hamilton was something that sparked the conversation i don't think that those actors are actually have that agreement right well another interesting thing that um the article i read about the fair wage on stage says that they polled um, a lot of equity members. Over 190 respondents reported that the average basic minimum expenses 815 per week after taxes and commission. So that's what they think a survivable take-home pay would be for a performer in New York City. I think for a 21-year-old just moving to the city, you can live on a lot less. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think being in your mid-20s, 30s, and 40s, probably with a family, not living in a closet somewhere, that that's a very reasonable amount of money to expect. Switching gears to uh, TV and film, when you first get here, you are probably not SAG-AFTRA. That's a safe assumption. Uh So you're going to be doing student films. Student films, you might get a copy of the DVD. You, but you'll probably get fed. You've got this new thing that sag After does. It's called a new media agreement. Mm-hmm. And that is so all over the place. It's like a lot of like the Lifetime stuff does that. There's like web series that do that. And then you've got SAG ultra low budget like say you'll go on netflix or something and not necessarily like a netflix produced movie but just the movies that show up on there there are movies that get nominated for oscars you know go to sundance that do all these certain things that started off as an ultra low budget one of the great examples is uh hillary swank boys don't cry Mm -hmm. believe after everything was said and done i don't know if if that was an ultra low budget or just a low budget but she made three thousand dollars doing that movie like, she didn't make enough that year to qualify for her insurance on huh. SAG-AFTRA. What did Chloe get paid? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no one's talking about that, so... <laughs> Chloe, seven years, you're listening. We want to know. And then you've got ultra-modified low-budget is 100. Ultra-low-budget is, like, 263 or at least it was in like 2016. Uh-huh. But that's to give you an idea. A day. Are these these are sag rate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same thing that we were talking about. Like that's before taxes. Mm-hmm. 
Oftentimes with these, they'll do, oh, it's $100 a day plus 10. So the commission isn't taken out of the $100. Mm -hmm. And then just regular SAG low budget last year was like 504 a day. Okay. Um, and then just like a regular SAG feature film. Now, these are not exact numbers, but I know that they're, they're close. It's like 989 plus 10. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's your base minimum. If you're the lead of the movie, you're probably making a lot more than that. The regular actor, oh, I got a, a job. I got, you know, two days on this movie. That's likely what you're going to be making. Right. That's for a day, but that might be the only income you have for three weeks or something. Right. TV pays the best. Their, their daily minimums are similar to film, mm-hmm. but then you have, like, just because there's m- more TV opportunities in New York... I feel like that's uh, like the biggest source of the actors that I know's mm-hmm. income. And it's a stability issue if you're a series regular, you have consistent work. Totally. You have guaranteed, if you were a series regular for a show, you have a guaranteed set of income. And that's, that's going to be, if you're a series regular on a television show, that's going to be five figures an mm-hmm. episode. That can range, and I don't want to say a specific amount just because that is is such a wide range and depends on your experience and a number of things. Day player stuff, that can add up. If you have a recurring on a TV series, there's a big gap in what recurring characters get paid than series regulars, and I actually think that that's something that people are trying to bring to SAG's attention as well now Mm -hmm. because it's these actors that are expected to be available for these episodes but aren't getting paid nearly as much as the regulars so i think that there's like some things brewing with Mm -hmm. sag after for that background people make make good Mm -hmm. (laughs) they make good yeah so it's not much lower than what a day player makes that's not including the overtime which Mm -hmm. almost all productions will have overtime they'll have meal penalties they'll have you know, and if you're getting paid scale, you get paid if you have a fitting. Like there's, mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing with theater. It's like this this one number happens, and then all this money gets taken out of it. Which the beauty of TV is, so oftentimes you've got that one number, but production messed up, so you're getting paid much more. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I did this, I had my photo taken, I get paid for that. Mm-hmm. So it's just those things add up. Not to mention the residuals. So every time your episode airs again at a prime time, you get paid what you got paid to work on the show. And so then, like, the more that it airs, the less it's going to be. But then, like, once it gets sold to international markets, you get residuals. So film residuals are always great. TV's, like, standard. Um, but those are sort of like the gifts that keep on giving mm-hmm. with TV and film. So that was another thing that I was actually going to bring up. And we've talked a little bit about this before with SAG-AFTRA. You can do two jobs under a union contract and not have to join. But then once your third job pops up, you're going to get flagged and you're going to have to join SAG. Now, I've known people who've done a few jobs and somehow slipped under the radar. And then I've known some people where it's like they are on it. Like mm-hmm. the minute they book the next job, they are a must-join. So they do have payment plans, but to join SAG is Mm $3,000. 
I know the yearly dues aren't that much, but to initially join SAG is $3,000. So that is a lot of money. I know a handful of people who have had to join because they've gotten their third. And it's just so fucked up because it's like they'll do two jobs where they've made $900 a day. And then this third one pops up for $900 a day. And they're like, we'll take that $3,000 now. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, but there's payment plans and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're screwed. It's just that's something that you have to be prepared to yeah. pay. I always encourage people once they get into unions, like, you're paying your dues for a reason. Like, look at all the resources that they have. Yeah, take advantage of every single thing they have to offer. And I think there's pretty good insurance. Obviously, with equity members, there's a lot of shows you can see for free. Um, with SAG-AFTRA, once, like, Oscar season comes around, you get, get some screeners. screeners, and then you can send them to Daniel and I. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's all these perks that you're like, oh, $3,000, like, what are they doing for me? You kind of have to work to dig mm-hmm. to see all the things. And there's a new SAG-AFTRA building that opened up on 54th Street across from where I work that looks really fancy. So <laughs> they must be doing cool things in there. I just a little, I sort of like spent five minutes looking um, at apartments and seeing like sort of what the market looks like right now. Oh, what does it um, look like? <laughs> God. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's all that more expensive than when we first moved here. Okay. Um, if you're having two to three roommates... And living way the hell in Brooklyn, actually further in Brooklyn than I've ever lived or that I would want to live, but like, or up in Harlem or it's out in Queens a little bit, you're probably looking at 750 to 900 monthly rent. Definitely sharing with. Definitely sharing. Um, uh, So I was, I was mainly looking for three bedrooms that were way to hell. So that's just something to keep in mind. I mean, you're going to need three times that to move in somewhere, and you're going to need that every month that you don't have a job. Then you think the Metro card monthly is 116 Mm-hmm. I know when I started uh, my first job uh, as a host at a restaurant, I was paid $13 an hour. Um, and that, unfortunately for that sort of position, has not gone up very much at all. I know when we first moved here for like an entry-level position at, like, a design firm or, like, a, what, like, a real estate firm or something like that was around the 30000 range. Yeah. And I don't think that that's gone up incredibly. I don't think so either. Um, did you get a credit card? <laughs> I did not get a credit card. All right. You should get a credit... I mean, don't get a credit card to go crazy, everyone, but you need credit. Yeah, the thing is, you need, you do need credit. And me, uh, I'm an adult who does not have credit, um, and if I'm running into issues now. If I would have just gotten a credit card and been responsible about it even five years ago, I would be in a much better position right now. But Daniel also doesn't have credit card debt, which I do have a plenty. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have debt, and I'm like on financial safe ground, but still not having credit sucks. And that, I mean, and it's like the thing that you can do. It's like, you can get a credit card, you know, put your like, fucking Netflix and something else on there, just to have a recurring thing Mm -hmm. that you pay off every month, and that's like, the simplest and best way to get credit. All the things we do are volunteer, all the money comes from our pockets. From 
the maintenance of the website from the production and the distribution of this podcast and all the other outreach that we do is completely on our own time. We are having to depend on the kindness of strangers and also people that we know. So yeah, so check out the website. There is a donate button. Uh, You can donate any where from a dollar to a hundred dollars and if you would like to know specifically what your uh, money will go to we are happy to tell you so (laughs) and if you'd like to specify where your money goes we are happy to oblige absolutely we will show you receipts um (laughs) if you are a, a professor or you are currently enrolled in college or a grad student and you think that we are providing something worthwhile then we would appreciate you sharing the word or contacting us. A couple of of professors that we know have uh, assigned the podcast as part of their courses, uh, which we think is just grand. I think we've changed lives. Like, I don't want (laughs) to, like, go... I don't want to, you know, exaggerate or anything. But, yeah, so that's, that's been, like, a really cool supplement to a lot of people's lessons. All of this information can be found at the website, www.classactorhack.com. If you have a specific subject you'd like us to cover, any feedback about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at classactorhack.com. Any specific uh, money talk or uh, any questions about that can, or if you are a professor and want to know more and uh, partner up with us, please email info at classactorhack.com. And the best way to keep up with us is to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And, I don't know if I told you this, we have a Pinterest board now. Uh-oh. Watch out, world. Um, which is, you know, it's mainly for fun. I see these horrible, like, uh, top ten things an actor needs to know. Like, we don't do that kind of shit. Like... I saw that, like, Cynthia Erivo was, like, running the marathon from The Color Purple, and I was like, pin a net. Yeah, so it's a legit Pinterest board, so you should check it out. <laughs> All right, well, money, 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 <laughs> must be a fun day in a rich man's world. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank Peace. you. Bye. Bye. We've been listening to Sweet Sabrettes, All the Glitters by the album Days and Nights. If anything, my mother will listen to it. <laughs> <laughs>